New Disciple Podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of university life and unpack what it means to be a disciple on campus. Good morning, Father Nicholas. Good morning, sister. How are you? Very well. Yourself? Good. It's good to see you again. <laughs> How many of these have we done now? Too many. Too many. Uh, but the first with Father Jerome Santa Maria. Very welcome, Father Jerome, uh, to our podcast. Um, parish priest uh, and vocations director here in the Archdiocese of Melbourne. So uh, we're glad to have you. It's good to be here. Good to yeah. be with you. Yeah, and we're continuing the Easter tide. Obviously, uh, we're still basking in the light of of the resurrection. There's still an entire bowl full of lint chocolate Easter eggs, but Father is sharing them. Sharing, self restraint, and a little a little sneaky one every now and then. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's Good Shepherd Sunday this weekend here in. Well, everywhere in the church, not just here in the Archdiocese of Melbourne. So we're really glad to have Father Jerome with us to um, help unpack a little bit of the question of, of vocations and discernment, but in particular, obviously, as the church focuses on the diocesan priesthood, to have a bit of a chat about that. Uh, sister, you're the only non-priest at the table. That's a good thing, yes. Mm-hmm. How do you enter into Good Shepherd Sunday? Well... I like praying for priests. There was a document, um, I think they printed it very beautifully here in Melbourne actually years ago about the role of um, religious women praying for priests and uh, I really took that to heart. I love it. So Holy Thursday, Good Shepherd Sunday, just add more to the to the list. It's a good day to pray for priests. And it's obviously, Father Jerome, a day each year where the church gives us scripture readings about the Good Shepherd. Um, we preach on it each year, but even as seminarians, we sort of we speak on it. It's the one one week a year where the seminarians are sort of unleashed on on the diocese to speak. Uh, so generally, homily for Good Shepherd Sunday, do you just regurgitate what you did as a seminarian, or no, has it changed over the years? Well, it's, uh, I've got a funny story about that actually. One, I think I don't know my third or fourth year, I got um, sent to uh, St Francis in the city, which if you if anyone's done that one before, there's about a million masses. Yes. Uh, and so by the end of Good Shepherd Sunday, you're sick of your own story. Um, but I obviously did something right because I remember being on holiday visiting a friend once and this was in um, the west coast of Ireland and he took me to visit one of his friends because she was an Aussie. Anyway, we went round there and I was, I was talking to her and her mum came round and uh, I introduced myself and she went, are you Santa Maria, Father Santa Maria? I heard you do a, a, a homily, I think, on Good Shepherd Sunday at St Francis in Melbourne. Um, I still remember it. You talked about this, this and this. And I was going, "Wow, those are the three points that <laughs> I was trying go. to make. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I've never had that experience before. Wow. <laughs> wow. But it is, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful um, occasion in the year and then I suppose in a particular way we pray not only for priests but also for our seminarians and for our seminary and it's a chance for everyone to give a bit of thought to to the idea of vocation and how important vocation is in the life of the church and how central uh, the role of the priest is as you said like Holy Thursday um, 
before going to the cross, our Lord gave us the great gift of the priesthood as as a way of perpetuating His grace throughout throughout the church and throughout the centuries. And priests are needed today, so that that role of of praying for vocations is a really important one for everyone, not just people who are discerning their own vocation. Yeah, yeah. and we need them. I remember when I was a young person, actually in uh, uni, and I was studying, and I didn't really find much guidance and I remember reading from I think it's about Ezekiel and talking about shepherds and not so fun shepherds sometimes but the Lord said I will give you good as shepherds and I um, he always has just brought shepherds into my life you're listening to the you disciple podcast where we put the you in disciple so, Father Jerome, we ask all our guests, when we remember, where, do, where exactly do you think we put the you in disciple? Um, it'd be after God, so somewhere in the middle, I reckon, <laughs> he- heading towards the end. <laughs> um, so, obviously, you're a priest. When were you ordained? Uh, 2012, when I had his birthday. Yeah. There you go. Tell us a little bit about what led you into the seminary. Uh, my vocation, I didn't see it coming. Uh, I was a commercial lawyer for, I don't know, a couple of years and uh, for a bunch of different reasons decided I should do a runner to London uh, and got accepted to study a master's over there. Uh, Unfortunately, I got accepted at the last minute so there was no room at any inn that I could find in London except for uh, the Catholic chaplaincy over there, a place called Newman House in Gower Street. So I emailed the the priest over there and he said, you're you're a little bit too old because most of them were undergraduates. Uh, he said, but you can stay here while you look for a place. So I thought, okay, sounds, sounds all right. Uh, he said, but you have to have an interview with me. So I uh, packed my bags, flew over to London, uh, made my way through the tube carrying a, a bunch of luggage and everything. Had a good Samaritan help me get there. If you haven't carried a suitcase on the tube in London, you haven't lived. Well, tried two or three, <laughs> it's even better. Um, and anyway, as I said, this, this guy I didn't know... Basically, an angel helped me carry these suitcases down Gower Street. Never saw him again, but he got me to the door. And then as I walked in after being on the plane for about a day, the the priest there just said, okay, how are you going? Time for the interview. And I'm sort of going, what? <laughs> serious, yeah. mate? Which way's up, yeah. <laughs> well, firstly, um, uh, I didn't exactly I didn't know which way I was up. And then he, he listened to my story. He basically said, why are you here? What are you going to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And 20 minutes into the interview, he said, have you thought about becoming a priest? Goodness me. Yeah, and he hadn't given me the key to my room yet. And he was a priest, <laughs> so I was trying to work out the nice way of saying, can I just have my key? I need to have a shower, basically. <laughs> um, but he definitely planted the seed. And I remember before I went over to London, my dad had said, you know, don't come back in the same place that you are now. You know, actually use the year to work out what's going to be the next bit. So I was, I'd, I was going over to think about remaining a lawyer, changing to become a barrister, practising in London rather than Melbourne, maybe teaching, that kind of thing. And because I knew I was on kind of like CCTV with God, I always wrote down priest now just at the bottom there because this priest had asked me, expecting to be able to rule it out. And I just couldn't rule it out. And all the other things began to slip away. But at the same time, a bunch of stuff was happening back home. So I had a couple of friends who were really struggling. Um, So that was in the mix as well. And I'd often had the experience with a couple of friends in Melbourne where um, I talked about religion with them, but I didn't talk about religion with anybody else. And when I got to London, I kind of made the decision, 
that uh, I was dictating the conversation to other people rather than saying, we can talk about religion if you want because I can answer those things that way. So I did a bit of an experiment with myself, sort of offering people the secular version and the religious version and all the people that I'd never met before, they all chose the religious version and then decided that they wanted to hear more about it. So I realised that with my couple of friends back home, I was pretty well versed in every mistake you could make on the religious stuff and as a result, we could have pretty good conversations. Mm. So I realised I was good at this stuff. I was good at talking about that kind of thing and at the same time, I was trying to work out what I was going to do next. At the same time, my friends who were a-religious basically were struggling and I remember waking up one morning sort of going, who's going to tell my friends about Jesus? And I made the mistake of saying it out loud. And as soon as I said it out loud, I realised it was probably me. <laughs> wow, good shot. <laughs> oh, no. I think one of the um, – uh, there's a bit of a similarity in, in my life and I suppose it was that God used that time at university. And I, I suppose especially um, the purpose of this podcast is really to speak to university students. And I think there's um, – there's this, there's an openness when you're when you find yourself at a point in life where you're just asking lots of questions, and I saw one of the things that I'd like to encourage people to think about is sort of going make sure you're asking the God question, like and it took that priest in your life to be the one to prompt it, but then you were the one who continued to ask it. Um, but sometimes we can get we can get caught up in uni and life and part time job and friends and relationship, and we we don't even ask the question. So I think the first thing that I would say to any university student is make sure you're, you're willing to be open to asking that question and you're a little bit alert because we're not all going to have a priest sort of who's just going to pop the question to us, but being alert to the signs that God might be, might be sharing with you um, and how he might be pointing you in, in a particular direction. Yeah, and, and one of the things I'd also say is that I used to do, I, I, was, I did a science degree as well. And so when you're doing a science uh, experiment, one of the things you have to do is reduce the background noise. You have to kind of like work out the systemic errors, all that kind of stuff, and just reduce them so you can see the results. When you're discerning, you definitely have to ask the God question, but you really, I think it's much, much easier to do it in a community of people who believe. Yeah. Um, because... Um, as everyone knows in various parts of the world at the moment, it's fairly aggressive when it comes to religion. So if you can be around people that you're not having your defences up the whole time, the word of God sinks in a little bit deeper and then you can hear it more clearly because a lot of the background noise that is just part and parcel of being a believer these days is quieted at least for a little bit. Sister, you're not a priest, but your discernment happened when you were at university as well. Yeah. Was it a similar sort of experience? Can I say no? No. <laughs> I mean, no. I think different, different on many levels. And I think just women, it might be a little bit different uh, about discernment. Everyone's story is unique, but it's interesting when I hear many priests talk about their vocation story. There's uh, so many of them have been directly asked by somebody else. And for many people, that was the initiation of the, the question. Um, I think women are a little bit intuitive ish you know so for me the conversation with the lord happened way like very very young um, but it wasn't it wasn't from the outside yeah it's interesting i had a priest ask me once and i just flat out said no <laughs> oh, there you go. um it scared me yeah um but i also had i was really lucky that i had a, a parish priest who who just 
gently and I was actually able to say at my ordination when I thanked him that he, having never spoken to me about the priesthood, but was the finest of examples. Yes. Like he didn't have to ask me, but the life he lived and the example and the fact that I knew that he loved the priesthood and he valued it, he never had to actually ask the question. So there was that that fine example and I think that's another key thing is, okay, we need to we need to have a community around us that makes it a safe space to to ask the question and to be open to God calling, but we also then need to we need to look to examples like we would if we were going to follow any other path in life. Mm-hmm. And we need, to, we need to find people who will, and as you said, sort of accompany you on that, on that journey and that have walked it before you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes the temptation can be to think that you're the only one going through this, but the fact is, is that lots of people have done this already. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just having a random scripture moment in my mind, just going back to this, the whole idea of being asked directly or not. If you think of the Gospels, Jesus asked the apostles directly, yeah. come follow me, come follow me. Which woman did he ever say, come follow me? But they all were there. So it's pretty interesting. Um, anyway. Father Jerome, so you now work in our vocations office here in the Archdiocese of Melbourne. So part of your role is encouraging uni students, um, encouraging anyone post-uni students as well, earlier than uni, Um to to consider is there is there something that you would say to a young man today who who might be sort of starting to think about the priesthood or might be going well do you know what i, I want to give some thought to this yeah I, it's probably just the advice that i received so when i had that moment where i said it out loud and thought oh no i'm stuffed now <laughs> um, i went downstairs to saw this priest again and said you started this <laughs> um, uh, he said i was the most miserable vocation he'd ever seen in his life basically Aww. And I said, I think I'm supposed to be a priest. And he went, whoa, put on the brakes. There's a lot more to do then. So he basically said, daily mass, you need to go to confession more often. You're going to start praying the office with me. Um, You need to be part of a discernment group. So he kind of built a structure around me. So I think everything that we said before about, um, you know, asking yourself the question, surrounding yourself with not only good examples, but people who are going to support you along the way, um, you need to take seriously what the church suggests on all these things, which are prayer, sacraments, giving yourself some time and space. Because if you look at um, if you look at the vocation stories in the church, uh, there is that moment where the word makes itself clear, but it does work itself out. You know, the word takes flesh. Salvation history is not done and dusted in an afternoon. It takes a whole preparation. Uh, so. You do need to be open to that moment, but then you do need to be sensible about it. You know, be reasonable, go and seek out advice. Do what smart people do in any area of their lives, basically, is find the best things to do and then do them repeatedly and you gradually things become clearer, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had a, a priest who, and I'd been discerning for a little while at this point, but asked the simple question, um, are you praying about this? I said, yes, every day. And he said, are you listening to the answer? And I realised that for, for at least by this stage, for a good six months, God had been making things abundantly clear to me, but my heart was closed to what it was. And I, I was at university and I was trying to convince myself in all these other human ways how I could be happy. And each one of these things was falling away, one after the other. After the other. And God was just... Get, and 
he he asked that question, and then as I looked back over those six months, it was like, oh no, it's a bit like you. It's a thing of, oh wow, okay, it's it's actually being quite clear. So I think the other thing is that thing of, have I got a generous heart? And so one thing that was really helpful for me in my discernment was I was doing lots of volunteer work. I was I was doing work with St. Vinnie's. I was involved in my parish. I was involved in the church. That I think that spirit of generosity uh, breeds a spirit of being openness to, okay, if I can be generous in the small things and if I'm striving each day to be a man of charity or a woman of charity and if I'm actually living that out, that means that I'm going to be more open to what God might be asking me in the bigger parts of my life. So finding opportunities not only to pray, build community, ask the right questions, follow someone, but also to to be a man of service and to be a man who's given over to others because ultimately, especially when we're talking about the priesthood, but even marriage, um, it's about being able to give your life entirely to some to something bigger than yourself. And so practicing that in the small things of every day I think is really important. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I was at, I worked with St. Vincent de Paul as well and that was – kind of off the back of me trying to convince one of my friends that the gospel was true. And the more I tried to preach, the more I realised I wasn't living up to mm-hmm. that. So you had to actually do it properly. And just through that, as you said, it forms your heart. Like you just realise that you're being um, opened up a little bit, um, which is kind of, I think, God just tilling the soil ready for the seed to come. Yeah. yeah it, sorry. No, no, I was just – no, go for it, sister. Just <laughs> both of those opportunities of, of service also just opens you up to having relationships with people that are um, really servicial in general because any vocation is clearly to serve the Lord but very much serving others. So learning how to wash another person's feet uh, is, is really at the heart of it. It's not a selfish life. Bishop Elliot also spoke once uh, in a thing that we were doing a few years back, uh, Auxiliary Bishop of Melbourne, about the need to be humble but not a false humility. And he, he spoke to this group of young men about the fact that um, it's sometimes we can say, well, I'm not good enough or I'm not holy enough or my life's too imperfect, um, therefore I, I won't be a priest. And he's like, just be careful that that's not this false humility. And then he said... If you, if you look at the first apostles, he said, and this is a very dated reference, but he said they weren't exactly the hit parade of, of their time. Now, I think if we're going to re- repeat it now, you'd have to sort of say um, the voice or Australia's got talent of their time. They were all sort of wounded and broken and very human in their own way, yet the Lord's grace was able to work through them. And I think the other real example of that is obviously St. Paul. Who, who we see in the scriptures, especially in this time of Eastertide, but we're reminded that like he was the persecutor of the early church, yet God was able to call him into service and change his life through his grace to make him one of the most, if not the most effective preacher uh, in the history of the world. Yeah, I, I, completely. I think one of the stages in any vocation is when you realise you're not up to it. Yeah. Um, but you kind of have to get over that because um, it's that competition between I'm not good enough, is God not good enough to get over my unworthiness? It's like you have to be very clear as to where does the conversation end? Does it end with my decision that I'm not up to it 
or does it end with God's decision to make me up to it? Yes. Um, that, I think that's crucial. And St. Paul's one of the best for explaining that because he, he sort of says, trust me, I'm the worst. <laughs> and the reason why God chose me is because I'm the worst. And if I can do it, anyone can get in basically. And he, he I can't remember which letter it is, but he basically sort of says, you know, I don't preach anything about myself. I preach Christ crucified. God died for me. If God died for me, nothing's impossible. God can make me mm -hmm. the apostle to the Gentiles, yeah. basically. You know, so He's the perfect example, I think. So He equips the called; He doesn't call the equipped, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And yeah, we we see that in His life. He he has this sort of earth-shattering, groundbreaking sort of encounter with the Lord on the road, and then he he goes. And we were talking a bit earlier. Um, he he places that discernment at the service of the church, which I think is an important an important part. Like, we discern our vocation only to a certain point. Like, I can feel God's call and I can sense it within me, but that needs to be matched and discerned by the church because it's the church that calls people forward. So this is one of the other pieces of advice I give to young guys all the time. Like, don't think you have to do it on your own. I, I I struggled with my own discernment for probably 12 months, two years. Then I got a spiritual director and I worked it through with him for another year. And then he said to me, it's time to go and see the vocations director. And I remember walking out of the vocations director's office feeling like I was like walking on air because I realized at that point that actually 50% of my discernment I'd now handed over. This thing that I had been struggling with for so long and with okay with the help of one other and a few other activities but otherwise it was like no now i've i've given my now it's up to the church to call me forward and i think that's a really important thing for for everyone in the discernment process especially if you're discerning a vocation within the church or at the service of the church is to allow the church to help you and this is why we have vocations directors and vocations teams and retreats and programs and a whole variety of different things is because you're not supposed to do it on your own you can't do it on your own. And St. Paul, I mean, the conversion of St. Paul kind of sums up so much of what we've actually been talking about right from the beginning because he has that moment where he's called, but the first call is basically conversion. Like you can't hear anything until you're actually turned around in a sense and directed towards God. And that first moment does disorientate you. You know, you just don't know which way is up, all that kind of thing. But the great thing about St. Paul is that he doesn't run away from that. You know, he's courageous enough and what you said before, um, Father Nick, about being generous enough to kind of sit with the confusion. And I always think that's um, a very important aspect of the story is that he fasts. Mm. You know, he acknowledges his hunger. He, he wants to receive God's word and so he, he fasts. He doesn't shirk the fact that he is hungry. Um, but at the same time, he is he goes blind. He doesn't know which way is up any longer. He's been so certain of which way his life is headed and then suddenly it goes completely in the other direction. But again, as you were just saying, he relies on Ananias to come and take the scales from his eyes, fill him in, give him the, the sense of what this now means for him. So you see in the conversion of St. Paul kind of every single stage of um, being upended, sitting with it, waiting... Um, and then also uh, relying on other people who know Christ, maybe 
not more than you, but in a different way to advise you and, and help you discern it out. So there's, it's it's not a bad reading to when you when you're struggling to work stuff out just to work through the stages. Mm-hmm. With um Good Shepherd Sunday, it it puts vocations at the the forefront of the church at least for one weekend. But I think especially for university students and young adults, like the discernment of my vocation should be at the forefront of of our prayer. Like it's. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to say, especially when it comes to youth and young adult ministry, university chaplaincy, if if we're not helping young adults discern their place in the church, it's glorified babysitting. Like, this is the time to, to, to work it out, uh, to sit there. And if, if, if it's not the priesthood of religious life and it's marriage, all power to you. Go and be a, a holy husband or wife. But give God that time. And use the time whilst you're at university, whilst you're sort of you've got a bit of freedom um, to to ask the question. Yeah, John Paul II wrote um, a great letter to young people. It was sort of kickstarting the World Youth Day experience, and he said to my dear young friends. And I that was the first letter I ever realised a pope ever wrote. <laughs> at that time, I didn't know that I had a little quote out of a a book, and I had it near my bed and then I read the rest of the document and it talks about that that time that university what's going on in your life and the questions that are natural to that time and he sets the whole letter within the context of the conversation with the rich young man he says take these questions you've got these questions they're natural to your time of life but ask them of the one who is good uh, ask those questions to the Lord who can answer them in, in a good way. So that university time is is that time, sorting out who am I, kind of like St. Paul here, like let the gospel um, imbue my life and then I'll be able to see where he's calling me to be or what, how, Lord, do you want me to live my life? Um, what's, what's next? Mm. And be open to what he says. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing. If if we trust that the Lord like, has our best interest at heart, he wants us to flourish, he wants us to live our best life, for want of a better phrase, trust that if he is calling you to this, that this will be the way that you will be the happiest. And that's definitely the case in my life. As, as I, all the things that I'd set up for myself that I thought was going to make me happy started to fall away, and I realised that the only thing left was to give the priesthood a go and all the things I had to give up in order to do that. But I, I, I was happy I was ne- and I've never been happier. And it's just like, okay, how do, we, how do we help young people and university students in particular sit there and go, okay, you might have all of these plans um, set up for yourself, but trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. John Paul II, be not afraid. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, and again, a, a priest said to me, "Like God's not—it's not like a a, a wily e. coyote cartoon. Mm-hmm. He's not sort of got a carrot and he's like over here, and then now over here, and then now over here. He's like he—he he calls you in the direction that is going to lead to your your happiness and your ultimate sanctification. Just if you open your heart to Him and trust in Him, you can follow Him uh, with confidence. Yeah, and I think that's a, a crucial point about having the um, that focus that God isn't distracting you, isn't mucking you about. Because the other thing that everyone always knows in prayer is that you can be asking for one thing and God will go, yeah, but I want you to do this thing first. 
that happens at university a lot in the sense there you're just going I really need to meet someone or I really need a job or I need, and God's going yeah but I want you to join St Vincent de Paul I want you to show up at this hour of adoration I want you to do something like that God's training us you know there nothing's incidental um, God might be just doing something that's going to you know put you in a situation where you meet the person you're supposed to meet or, you know, hear something that you need to hear or practice something that you need to practice. None of it's accidental. All of it's providential. And university is a great time to have that freedom to actually go and test these things out, trusting that God is actually forming us in all these moments. I think one of the other great pieces of advice that I received and that I give to people is go to Mass. Like, go to the Eucharist and on almost all of our campuses, Mass is available with some regularity, but otherwise in your local parish community, um, find a church that's open and go to Mass. Like the Lord gave himself to us in, in the Eucharist that we might that we might receive him and know him. And and when we do, and it was the thing for me that sort of moved my, my discernment process from 30% to 90%. And that was, I moved into a house and I was lucky enough to be able to walk to the cathedral for daily Mass each morning. And as soon as I started going to Mass every day, my vocation, uh, my discernment just elevated because I was, I was more united with the Lord than I'd ever been in my life. And so if you want to know what the Lord's asking you in your life, go to Mass. If you want to avoid Him, avoid Mass. And that's, that's also, I think, one of the cliches of vocations directors is that we all say um, whatever you're praying about, whatever you believe God is calling to you, you know, in the offertory, put it on the altar, and then when you receive communion, go back and imagine it. God's God's going to receive you and give you back His Son, and that's where you find your identity. This is the You Disciple podcast. For more information on what's happening on a campus near you go to udisciple.melbournecatholic.org. I used to always in my uh, vocation Sunday uh, talk as a student uh, encourage people to pray uh, for themselves, that they may be open, but also to pray for their children and grandchildren and that one of their children or grandchildren may receive a calling to the priesthood of religious life. And so I suppose my my advice to uni students would be pray for yourself first and foremost that you may be open, but then pray for your friends. I think if we build a culture where vocations are, are prayed for each and every day, but that with a, a sense of, okay, Lord, if not me, what about this person? If not me, what about John? What about Matt? What about Sally to the Dominican sisters of Nashville. Um, but like that if 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 I love the church that much and that I'm and that I, I love the priesthood and religious life that much, would I be willing to give up my best friend for this? If what would I say if they came to me and said, This is what I'm doing, what would my response be? Yeah, I remember um when I was ordained, uh during the you, you prostrate yourself in front of the altar and they do the litany of the saints. And it's probably the moment in my life where other people's prayer was thick in the air. It was basically tangible. You could not only feel the presence of the saints praying for you, but all the different parish groups 
who have offered up so many prayers over so many years in so many different places, it was one of those moments where you just knew this was not about you. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the, the church calling someone, um, the church ordaining someone, and this was Christ doing it. You know, as you said, sister, at the beginning, he was the one that was doing all of this. Um, but as, as you said, Father Nick, the, the prayers are just, you know, nothing happens without the prayer because God has called us to cooperate. He hasn't stopped calling. No. Mm-hmm. We've stopped listening. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen. That's it. That's all we've got time for. Thanks for that, sister. Uh, your punchy one-liners at the end. You say that you don't like one-liners, but when you, when you get them, they're good. Thanks for joining us, Father Jerome. Uh, vocations.melbournecatholic.org.au uh, but also the links at our website, which is youdisciple.melbournecatholic.org.au but... Otherwise, let's uh, continue to pray for an increase in vocations to the priesthood and religious life, not only here in Melbourne, but uh, in the church around the world. Thanks, sister. Thank you, Father. God bless. Whether you've been listening to us on the tram, in the library, or on your way to class, Thanks for listening to this week's You Disciple podcast. Share, like, and subscribe, and we hope to see you on and around campus. The You Disciple podcast is a production of the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne.